I mean, just all this new life at our church. And just, uh, as I said, it just gives me great joy. You know, if you think about it, when I first came to Haynes Creek, Rivers Hope, Miles Parker, and Peter Clark weren't even on the earth yet. <coughs> Which is trippy to think. For several years, Kelly and I dreaded baby dedication at our church. It was a source of immense pain, thinking that God would never answer our prayers and that He would never give us a child of our own. So many tears, so many prayers. Uh, And then God answered our prayers. But as God always does, often does, not in the way we thought. And I can think of no greater testament to the joy of the Lord this morning than the fact that my wife and I still don't have children biologically. And yet my heart is more full today than it has ever been. Uh, And to see these parents beaming with joy this morning only completes my joy. Um, I really feel like that's the church in action. God is good, amen? Amen. 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 It's my prayer that Roman and Ruby would not only grow up to call these children their friends, but their brothers and sisters in Christ. And as as you may have mentioned, or may have heard me mention in the prayers, it's also my prayer that these children would grow up to one day call their own parents brothers and sisters in Christ. If you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23, we're in the middle of our Advent series. Um, if you're, you don't know what that is, um, basically it's us going the entire month of December preparing for Christmas and preaching from texts and thinking about texts and studying texts and celebrating the, the passages and the stories we know so well in preparation for Christmas. This tit- the title of this sermon this morning is called The Dark Side of Christmas. And that is not a pun on Star Wars coming out this week. I didn't think about that until this morning. <laughs> But uh, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. And the Holy Spirit says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, quote-unquote. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. 
And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let us pray. Father, teach us how to worship this morning. Humble us this morning through a story of rage, of anger, of hate, and fear, and jealousy, and envy, and hope in a child. Father, teach us the miracle of Christmas and the good that came to earth through evil. And all these things we ask in your son's name. Amen. So if any of you were wondering, I actually planned out our Advent sermon schedule before I planned baby dedication. So I was sitting on my couch last week, kind of prepping baby dedication in my mind, and then I opened up to the next text and I went, oh. And I... My heart sunk. And I'm thinking, you know, there's just nothing quite like, you know, nothing to celebrate the birth of kids like reading and preaching on mass infanticide. And I almost changed the text. I almost did. I just couldn't believe that that's just the way it happened. Then I started reading the text, because we've all read this, I'm assuming, dozens and dozens of times. And I started thinking about what this passage means to us as born-again Christians, and I believe that it's an incredibly appropriate text this morning. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to actually break this passage down into two parts. We're going to talk about, one, what this passage says about Herod, the imposter king, And then we're going to break it down into a second part, which talks about what this passage is saying about Jesus, the real king. Believe it or not, this isn't the only time that history records Herod slaughtering innocents. The Jewish theologian Josephus actually says Herod did this multiple times during his reign. This man is a maniacal tyrant who is so in love with his own power, who is so evil that he would go to such lengths to kill every male child in the Bethlehem area two years or under in order to defend his throne. He will stop at nothing to keep his wealth and his riches. Verse 13 says that Herod wants to destroy Jesus. Destroy Jesus, it says. Verse 16 says that he became furious when the Magi didn't come back. I mean, just in these few verses, you can gather a sense of this man's rage for anyone who would challenge his supremacy in his life of comfort. If you remember last week, Herod told the wise men that he actually wanted to come and worship Jesus so that when they came back to tell him so that he could code too. But we know now that's a lie because all he really wanted to do was murder Jesus. Meanwhile, we sit on Baby Dedication Sunday and we read this text and we think to ourselves, how in the world could someone commit such an unspeakable evil? 
We're not talking one child. We're not even talking about 50 children. We're talking about hundreds of children slaughtered in the name of hate. That's in the Bible. This is part of the Christmas story. And honestly, I'm not sure what's more shocking. The sheer evil of Herod the Great or the fact that Herod isn't even the first person in the Bible to do that. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. This has happened before. Why did Pharaoh kill every Hebrew son? What well, says? He thought there were too many of them. They were becoming too powerful. They were becoming to, they were, they were going to be a threat. Just as Herod saw Jesus as a challenge to the earthly kingdom, Pharaoh saw his Jewish slaves as potential threats to his throne. It's safe to say that in the Bible, whenever we find babies dying in mass numbers, we are sure to find powerful people trying to preserve their power and their wealth. Children are the least of these. They're powerless. They are defenseless. They are helpless. And they make for easy prey. But don't think for a second that Herod is unique, church. Don't think for a second that the spirit of Herod isn't alive and well in our flesh today. In America, we don't just pray on the least of these. We don't just pray on the powerless. We don't just pray on the helpless. We actually murder the voiceless. According to the CDC, in 2014, over 652,000 unborn children were murdered through abortion in one year. In 2014, a company called Planned Parenthood by themselves murdered 324,000 kids. That's one company. Herod has nothing on Planned Parenthood. This is in the land of the free and the home of the brave. The reason for murdering innocent children today is the very same reason people murdered them 4,000 years ago. Children pose a threat to our fleshly comforts. They stand in the way of our dreams and our freedom and our little kingdoms we want to build. Herod is not unique, church. How many times have we heard of a 17-year-old girl who gets pregnant instead of celebrating the child that's been knitted in her womb, instead of praising God for this child born in the image of God, they tell her that this child's going to destroy her college aspirations and her career and her full life ahead of her. This is how easily the Herods of the world come to power when they see children as inconveniences to be avoided instead of miracles to be celebrated. James chapter 4, verse 1, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You read that one differently now. If you're listening this morning and you think, well, okay, that's why I'm Republican. No, you're missing the point. The sin of abortion goes much deeper than murder. It's in our hearts, y'all. I'm going to read you a quote real quick from a book that was published this year. I'm going to read you the quote real short. Just two or three lines. I'm not going to tell you who, re- who wrote it. I just want you to listen to it because I want you to just absorb how harmless it sounds. Listen. Quote, unquote. As a free human being, you're allowed to change your mind. 
to find yourself in different circumstances, to make mistakes. You're allowed to want your own future. Do you know who wrote that? Dr. Willie Parker, the most outspoken and well-known abortionist in America, who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He just published a new book. It's actually a best-selling book called Life's Work, A Moral Argument for Choice. This man claims to be a Christian and his job is to murder children. Can you start to see now, if you feed people long enough with the American dream, can you start to see now how they over time think that God owes them freedom and they'll stop at nothing to get it? Even if it means killing a baby in your belly. Every single year, hundreds of thousands of children are sacrificed on the altar of the American dream, on the gospel of comfort, prosperity, and convenience. Snuffed out by an idolatrous generation that, just like Herod, would do anything to protect its way of life. And you don't have to have an abortion to fall into this sinful, self-seeking mindset. I mean, just look at the way the people, a lot of Americans look at the concept of family. Raise your hand if you know a couple that, just raise your hand real quick, if you know a couple that dated like seven, eight, nine years before they got married. Now, I want to be clear. A lot of times there are extenuating rare circumstances. But that's usually symptomatic of a culture that values freedom and career goals more than a commitment to family. I know some parents that basically outlaw their kids to actually start seriously dating until they've gotten their right grad school entrance exam right, or they've gotten into the right program. What does that say about the priority of our culture? It's very Herod-like in many ways. What it says is, wait till you build your kingdom first, then you can add family to it. And what happens oftentimes, a child will get a career, then get married, then marriage will get in the way of the career and they'll get divorced because it's been ingrained to them at a young age that personal success and prosperity comes before keeping your word and honoring someone else's happiness. Oh, how our American culture so easily resembles Herod. Herod doesn't care about other people's happiness. He's hell-bent on protecting his castle, his kingdom, and his wealth. That's the world these children are stepping into. There's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is that the world, by the time they get to be our age, will probably, likely, even be more brazen in its greed than it is today. The good news, parents, is that these little children are little, pliable souls waiting to be molded by something or someone, and you get to help mold them with the love of Jesus. We may not be murderers, but we have the same heart disease that Herod did. <coughs> And Jesus came, died, and was raised so that we could be free from the kind of self-seeking lifestyle that Herod was willing to kill for. You know, it seems like every year the abortion culture comes out with a new excuse or defense for murdering kids. And the gospel crushes all of them. Abortion culture says, well, she's got her whole life ahead of her. It's her life. The gospel says Jesus gave his life so that they, these babies could have eternal life. Abortion culture says to deny an abortion is a violation of a woman's rights. 
The gospel says Jesus laid down his own rights and became a slave to take on flesh and redeem these babies. Amen. Abortion culture says every woman has the freedom to choose. The gospel says Jesus Christ emptied himself and became a servant so that these babies could be free from sin. Abortion culture says, well, this child is mine biologically, but I don't want it. The gospel says this person is a rebel, but I'm going to adopt him or her into my family and make them an heir to my kingdom. Abortion culture says this thing growing inside my belly, it's not a child yet, it's a fetus. That kind of dehumanizing language we, we hear. The gospel says Jesus Christ knew these babies before they were even in the womb. He knew Autumn. He knew Rivers. He knew Miles. He knew Peter. He knew Wyatt. He knew Elizabeth. He knew Roman. He knew Ruby. He knew them all. He created them. They weren't accidents. They happened because He willed it to happen. They are here today because God gave them to us. And now He asks us to love them in the most intimate way which is loving them with the gospel and discipling them according to God's word. Jesus defeated sin by giving up His own life. And now today we commit to giving our lives for our babies. Which brings us to the second part of the text, which is Jesus is the true king. Pharaoh, Herod, and Planned Parenthood preach a gospel that says, if a baby gets in the way of your happiness, kill it. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, let the children come. For such are the kingdom of God. Jesus says, they're made in the image of God. They're beautiful. If anyone is to be my disciple, you've got to become like one of these. This morning, where the world sees inconvenience and dirty diapers and sleepless nights and crying, we see precious souls made in the image of God. It almost brings me to tears this morning to think that Kelly and I have babies today because a mother chose life instead of the spirit of Herod. The Normans will have a child soon, I hope, because a mother will choose life instead of the spirit of Herod. And that makes me very grateful. You know, amid the Christmas trees and the ornaments and the caroling and the decorations and the Christmas specials, it's kind of easy to forget about the evil that took place on Christmas. You don't find this one in the Nativity. I think a lot of churches leave this story out because it ruins our cookie-cutter, angelic version of the, the Christmas story. But this one's in there. Matthew 2. I'm going to be honest with y'all. If I were one of the mothers or fathers around Bethlehem that week with a two-year-old child, I would be seriously doubting the whole peace on earth and goodwill toward men thing. I'd be questioning the goodness and the kindness of God. I mean, when I read this text, my mind goes out to those moms. What do we have to say to those moms? Jesus who? I, just, I thought about this, that this week when I was preparing. I was just going, how many times have you ever heard it preached from their perspective? 
And then I came across Matthew's quote from Jeremiah 31. Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Of all the passages in the Old Testament, Matthew chose Jeremiah 31, the chapter on the New Covenant, the chapter on hope, the chapter about returning Israel from exile and into the Promised Land, the chapter about turning their mourning into joy, about the one day that God will come and He will be their God and they will be His people, the one chapter about how He will finally write His law on their rebellious hearts and they will seek Him with all of their heart. Matthew quoted that chapter. And he quotes verse 15, but, but if you may, just listen. He doesn't quote verse 16 and 17. Here's what it says in 16 and 17. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. God had a plan all along. There is a hope for your future and it's not in our careers or our scholarships or our programs or our tiny kingdom. It's in this baby Jesus in a manger. This king who is lying there helpless to the mothers and the fathers who lost their children in Bethlehem, to the Jewish mothers who lost their children under Pharaoh, to the millions of mothers who today live with guilt for giving up their unborn children. There is good news this Christmas church. And that's, the, that's this, even though millions of children have died in this country in a fallen world, even though people have been slaughtered, even though there's evil in this world, there is one baby who survived. And his name was Jesus. And he died for our sins so that we could have life. You know what the message is to the, to the Bethlehem mothers? It's that in Christ, you don't have to worry because the dead don't stay dead. Your children will rise. That's the good news of Christmas. Out of Egypt, God called His Son, and out of Egypt, He will lead His children. You know, this, this baby, this child born in Bethlehem, he grew up and he was called a Nazarene, and, and this Jesus of Nazareth shed His blood for us. That's the Gospel. This Thursday, um, one of my favorite theologians of all time, R.C. Sproul passed away. And Dr. Sproul uttered one of the top three quotes of all time, in my opinion. I love it so much, and I wanted to quote it in honor of him, but, but because I think, it's a rel- I think it's very relevant this morning. R.C. Sproul once said, Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened once, and he volunteered. I love that. That's the gospel, folks. Parents, listen to me this morning. We as a church are committing to you. We as a church are committing to you that we're going to relentlessly preach the gospel to your children and in return we're asking you to commit to us to ensure that your child knows this Jesus of Nazareth. You know, verse 19 is an important verse and don't miss it. There's four words there. But when Herod died. Herod died. His kingdom fell. His monuments didn't last. Herod is no more. All the toiling and all the murdering, all the scheming, it didn't matter. And this child in a manger is now seated on an everlasting throne and it will not be shaken. 
At the end of the story, we know who the real king is. Herod died. And Jesus lived. Parents, please listen to me this morning. Tell your kids to shoot for the stars. Tell them to study hard. Tell them to go to practice and be the best they can be. Tell them to achieve their goals. Tell them to work hard and do their best. But at the end of the day, make sure they know how to bow. Let us not turn our children into little Herods, scrapping and clawing secretly for fame and recognition. Let's tell our children about the great need for Jesus. Because I'm telling you, the same Bible that says that they were wonderfully made and that God knew them for the foundation of the world also says that they were conceived in sin. Roman took we got we got our, Roman and Ruby their first Christmas presents and they were like two little balls that we got to let them we let them open it up early. Guess what Roman did? He didn't like his and he took hers. <laughs> How where did he learn that? I didn't teach him that. I don't think I did. <laughs> My little children are angels, but mm, they sinful. Original sin is, is, I find that original sin, that doctrine, is most offensive to parents. Because we don't want to admit what Scripture clearly says, which is our babies were conceived in sin, that's why they need Jesus, and that's why they must be born again. That's why Jesus died. That's why He was born. That's why we sing. Don't deny sin. Don't deny your great need for Jesus. That's why we show up. That's why we live. That's why we breathe. That's why we worship Him. This child is our King. This morning, if you've been living secretly for yourself, if you've been building your own private, secret little kingdom, if you've been making Jesus your priority only when He's not touching the things you really care about, if that's where Jesus is in your life, or you're just adding Jesus as something on top of what you already have, bow before the manger and confess Him as Lord, repent of your sins, and believe in the Gospel. That's the good news of Christmas. Let's have faith in that. Let's pray. Father, Oh, the great mercy and love and grace that You've shown us in Jesus. There is no valley too low. There is no evil that we could experience. There is no desolation. There is no darkness. There is no loneliness that we could experience here on earth that You have not tasted in Christ. We have an intercessor. We have a mediator who knows what it's like to be lonely and hurting on Christmas. And Father, You're asking us to believe on Him because He didn't just live our lives. He died the death we should have so that we could have life. There are millions of children who have been murdered in the name of unspeakable evil. But there's one baby who survived. And in Him we find real life. Thank You for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. And all these things we have in your son's name. Amen. Amen.